Hello, Empire Builders. Welcome to Business Scale Insights with your host, Kimberly Bonner. And today is Friday, and so you know what that means. It's Friday Focus. Business Skill Insights and Friday Focus is brought to you by New Day Consulting Systems, a firm dedicated to helping small businesses scale well. Hello, Empire Builders. Today's Friday Focus is dedicated to continuing our series on love and money. And for those of you who are just brand speaking new to the series on love and money, I really focus on um, relationships because when you're talking about love and money, it's all about relationships. It's about relationships in three areas, a relationship with yourself, your relationship with others, and your relationship with things. For the past couple of weeks, I've been focused on your relationship with others. If you're going to develop any kind of wealth, and you're going to create a business that lasts not just a few years or a few decades, but generationally. Uh, you have to be able to connect with people, whether they are your clients, whether they are your colleagues, your staff, um, the culture. You have to be able to connect with people because it's the people that ultimately are going to pay the bills. You can be the smartest person in the room. If you don't get that, you're gonna have a serious problem. So in the past few weeks, I've talked about IQ, EQ, and LQ. I encourage those of you who are new to this podcast series, check out those previous uh, podcasts. I don't have time to go over them today. Uh, but fundamentally, we were talking about um, LQ, which is about your love intelligence, or as I like to call it, more than love intelligence, a love ethic. And that love ethic I talked about in Tuesday's podcast episode is really all about developing uh, a culture of care, integrity, and character in leaders of organizations. Let me repeat, when I'm talking about the love ethic, I'm not talking about an emotion. I'm talking about a character trait that must be in leaders of great organizations for them to not only generate wealth, but for them to create the next generation kinds of businesses that make a dent in the universe for the better, for the better. They improve the condition of humanity. That's the caveat and that's the key. This week, I closed the podcast on Tuesday talking about Facebook. Facebook as an example of a very talented team, a very talented company, very talented leadership, very filled with people with high IQs and believe it or not, high EQs because they have the capacity to tap into the emotions of people and clearly have developed detailed psychographic information about many, almost all of their users, right? And are selling that information based upon recent disclosures by Cambridge Analytica to many, many, or 
maybe not them selling it, but they've given access to third parties who are then selling that kind of data to um, other people for nefarious reasons. Facebook is just a case study, in my opinion, of a larger leadership crisis in the United States of America. I'm using them as an example, but it's bigger than that. If you want to talk about the Me Too movement, if you want to talk about the mass mass shooting that just happened at Stoneman Douglas High School, where there are many levels of failure um, to protect those students there from the school district to the FBI, to the politicians, uh, to the Broward Sheriff's Office uh, and local leaders. Uh, there is an, a leadership crisis in America. And I would argue that it stems from a lack of an understanding and appreciation of the love ethic. On today's Friday Focus, I am highlighting an interview um, with the whistleblower in Cambridge Analytica. And I'm highlighting the interview because it's one of the most powerful interviews that I've ever heard. It was conducted by The Guardian. Um, I'm sharing the the, the audio um, and it, it, it is staggering um, the levels, in my opinion, of the failure in leadership across the board, not just with Cambridge Analytica as an organization, but with the Republican Party and with Facebook. Because allegedly there were Facebook insiders that were working not only with the folks at Cambridge Analytica, but with the Trump campaign. So it's a case study of what is happening in the larger society. And I, I'm going to talk about this more on next Tuesday's podcast. Make sure that you tune in because I'm really going to land the plane and talk about leadership. Leadership. There's a crisis in leadership in the 21st century. And it's not because people aren't smart. And it's not because people um, are not attuned for to emotions. Matter of fact, we're talking about people who are so brilliant emotionally that they have developed psychological profiles digitally of all of us. So we can't say it's a low EQ. Their emotional intelligence is astronomical. We've not seen anything quite like it before. So with all due respect to my friends in the IQ land and the EQ land, Boo-Boo Kitty, this is bigger than that. These are people who have an understanding of our psychological motivators and our profiles that is unlike anything I think we've ever seen. So what we're talking about is not emotional and is not intellectual. It is an issue of character. And we might not like seeing it. We might not like hearing it, but as the old folks used to say when I was a kid, it's time for Americans to have a come to Jesus conversation. And when I say that, I'm just saying we need to have a serious heart to heart because something is wrong. After you listen to the Cambridge Analytical Whistleblowers interview, it is jarring and it is concerning and I think it's really appropriate as we see all of these things happening in our world 
and our young people are going to be marching in Washington, D.C. to protest gun violence. It's time for America to wake up and leaders in America to wake up. The epidemic of carelessness, the epidemic of not caring, having low integrity, and letting ethical questions just fall by the wayside in this age of mass digitization, artificial intelligence, robots, incredible, in my opinion, inhumanity towards our fellow man with the Me Too movement and now with gun violence and death and murder. And listen, I don't even want, I don't even want to talk about mass incarceration and oh my God, police brutality. There's a problem. And I believe that the leaders of companies and entrepreneurs are going to be the greatest force for change in our world. But it will begin from the leaders. And it's not about IQ. It's not about EQ. It's about care. The epidemic of carelessness has to stop. If you're going to create one of the greatest business that's going to stand the test of time, create generational wealth, and markedly improve humanity for the better, not for the worse. The next recording you're going to hear is the interview with the whistleblower at Cambridge Analytica. It's jarring, it's thought-provoking, and I encourage you to call into the station, send me an email, send me a DM on Twitter, and let's talk because it's time. Involvement in this now. I mean, do you feel responsible for what happened? Um, yeah, I do. I do feel responsible for it. Um, and uh, it's something that I regret. And that's partly why I'm here talking to you so that I can talk to, so that, so that people can know about what this company does. Um, what this company is. Throughout history, you have examples of grossly unethical experiments. Um, is that what this was? I think that, you know, yes, it was a gross, grossly unethical experiment because you are playing with an entire country, the psychology of an entire country without their consent or awareness. And not only are you like playing with the psychology of of an entire nation, you're playing with the psychology of an entire nation in the context of the dem democratic process. My name is Christopher Wiley. I'm a data scientist and I help set up Cambridge Analytica. It's incorrect to call Cambridge Analytica a, a purely sort of data science company or an algorithm you know, company. You know, it is a full service propaganda machine. If you can control all of the streams of information around your opponents, you can influence how they perceive that battle space, and you can then influence how they're going to behave and react. Alexander Nix, where do I begin? Um, he is uh, not the easiest person to work for. Um, 
he's he's ambitious. Um, he cares more, I think, about winning than what we actually did at the company. He's uh, an, an upper-class Etonian who expects people to follow him wherever he goes. When I first met him, I knew he was Steve from America. Um, and then later I got told he <clears throat> was the editor of Breitbart. I'd heard of Breitbart, you know, it's the blog for angry white men to rant about whatever. Steve Bannon saw himself as an intellectual. We would need to sort of present ourselves in a way that was ac more academic, more academic, more sort of ideas focused and all that. Alexander realized that we needed uh, a Cambridge site. And so we set up uh, a fake office in Cambridge. And whenever Steve would come, we would bring a bunch of people from the London office, plop them into the Cambridge office, and give Steve the impression that we had a lot of our operations based out of the university. We changed how he perceived who we are and what we were doing. And it was his idea, Steve's idea, to give the company the name Cambridge Analytica. This sort of warped perception is infused into the name Cambridge Analytica itself. So you psyoped Steve Bannon, basically. In a way, he was he was a target audience of one. And you changed his perception of reality. And we changed his perception of what who we were and what we were doing and and what the situation that he was in. Yeah. And then from there, it was like you took that to then to America to change the perception of reality for America. Yeah. And the reason why he was interested in this is because he follows this this idea of of the Breitbart doctrine, which is that. If you want to change politics, you first have to change culture because politics flows from culture. And so what I said is that if you want to change culture, you have to first understand what the units of culture are. The people are the units of culture. So if you want to change politics, you first have to change people to change the culture. Did that fit in with, you know, his, um, he's, he had quite a famous expression about politics being war. If you want to fight a battle, or you want to fight a war, you want to win a war, you need weapons for that. You wanted cultural weapons, and we could, we could build them for him. But obviously he needed money to do it. So he took it to Robert Mercer. Who's Robert Mercer? He is an American billionaire in New York. Um, and before he was, before, he got rich uh, through algorithms. Alexander Nix uh, is with me, and he starts with his sort of like razzle dazzle. Uh, we, we work for the Pentagon. We work for you know MOD, MI6. Da 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 da. We are brilliant and eaten and whatnot. And I'm a posh British man. You should trust me with all of your money. Essentially, the pitch was that we were going to combine micro-targeting, which had existed in politics, which was you know in part my background but bring bring on boards um, a new a new constructs new constructs from psychology so that we wouldn't just be targeting you as a voter we'd be targeting you as a personality and in order to scale that we would then be collecting a lot of data on people um, so that we could build a psychological profile of each voter in a particular region 
or in this case, all of the United States. Alexander was quite excited. He uh, got a bottle of champagne. We had a saber in the office, savored the champagne. Um, and, but then the next day it was sort of like, okay, now what? You get all this money and you've got a billionaire breathing down your neck going, why don't I have it yet? I've just given you tens of millions of dollars and like, where's my psychological warfare weapon? I needed to figure out a way of getting data. And so I went to these profs and asked like, what do you think, right? So we've done all these cool pilots, but how would you do this for like an entire country? What Kogan offered us was something that was way cheaper, way faster, and of a quality that nothing matched. They had uh, apps on Facebook that were given special permission to harvest data, not from just the person who used the app or joined the app, but also it would then go into their entire friend network and pull out all of the friend's data as well. So if, if one person, if you joined the app, I would not just see your Facebook profile, I would see all of the Facebook profiles of everybody that you're friends with. We would only need to, to, to you know, touch a couple hundred thousand people to expand into their entire social network, which would then scale us to, you know, most people, of America. And people had no idea that the data was being taken in this way. No. No. If you were a friend of somebody who used the app, you would have no idea that I've just pulled all of your data. It was almost everything that would be on a, on a Facebook profile. So that was things like status updates, likes, in some cases, private messages. Um, so Cambridge Analytica has people's private messages they sent on Facebook. I can't say whether they did or not. What I'm saying, what I'm saying is what the app could do. So you didn't ever stop and think, actually, this is people's personal information and we're taking it and we're using it in ways that they don't understand. You didn't think, actually, I'm just, I'm not sure about this. Um, you know, the, the, the company, we didn't, we didn't do a good job at due diligence so no we didn't um you know but what about you not just the company your involvement in that um no i mean i we we were solely focused on getting this data and doing this experiment how many profiles were you, were you pulling um tens of millions upwards of 50 60 million profiles were collected in a two or three month period when alexander nix told the parliamentary inquiry on fake news that Cambridge Analytica has never used Facebook data, at least from when I was there, that's just fundamentally not true because we spent a million dollars harvesting tens of millions of Facebook profiles and those profiles were used as the basis of the algorithms that became the foundation of Cambridge Analytica itself. The company itself was founded on using Facebook data.